right. Well, hello, fellow travelers. I'm excited to be here with another interview. Um, I've got with me here tonight my friend Jesse, and I'm going to let him introduce himself and just kind of tell you a little bit about himself. And then we're just going to jump into let him share his story. Well, hello, folks. I'm Jesse Rothacker. And right now I'm connecting with you from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. If you're not aware of Lancaster County, we are the Amish capital of the world. And so uh, in case you're wondering, I'm not Amish. You do not need to tell my bishop that I'm on the internet right now because that would get me excommunicated. Um, but I do have a lot of Amish friends, a lot of Amish neighbors. I'm not making this up, but yesterday I was rollerblading with a lot of church friends. Several of them were Amish or former Amish, and they are much faster than me, and they're much faster than me. I grew up in California. I can rollerblade really fast, but Amish people are very fast on rollerblades because uh, they can't ride bicycles. They can't drive cars. And so they are very good rollerbladers. Um, but I, I was going to talk more about reptiles and hear them going down the Amish road already. <laughs> so, so um, for those people who've not been in Amish country, cause I've, I've done, a, I've been in a few places in Michigan and stuff like that. Um, is it a common occurrence to see the, the horse drawn carts uh, with the, uh, with the reflector um, uh, triangles on the back? Yeah, that happens every day. And the difference between someone who lives here and someone who visits, like uh, my friend Harvey, who was in our in our recent South Florida Reptile YouTube video, Harvey was down here just the other day with his wife. And his wife thought it was so fun every time she saw a horse and buggy, which is like every day when you live here. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not fun when you live here because you just <laughs> get stuck behind them. And Pennsylvania is one of the roads or Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is one of the parts of the country. If you remember, is, um, it, we we signed a lot of things in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, like some mm -hmm. some of our early wars in the revolutionary days, early, um, you know, Continental Congress. And those things were from Philadelphia, the Liberty Bell. The point being that we are built on hundreds of of years old of infrastructure here in Pennsylvania. So if you go down in the South and let's say if they had horse and buggies in the South, well, there would be three lanes in every direction. It wouldn't bother you, you just pass them. But here in Pennsylvania, our infrastructure is built on two, 300 year old farm lanes. That's what our, our main roads are, are just mm -hmm. two, 300 year old farm lanes. And so you get a horse and buggy in front of you. And oftentimes you can't do anything but sit there and go, you know, five, 10 miles an hour for like half a mile or more, you know, or you got to risk your life and go around a bend when you can't see what's coming. And, you know, usually make that mistake once or twice. And if you live to tell about it, you learn not to do it again. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you get stuck behind them. It's, it's a little bit annoying, but they're, I mean, they're great people. I don't mean to yeah. put Amish down. If you're Amish and you're listening to this, uh, there's forgiveness from your bishop. I'm not judging you for being on the internet right now, but also, uh, I don't want you to feel yeah. bad that uh, you go slow in, in your one horsepower vehicle. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Jesse, I, I do want to thank you for being here. And I do, um, one of the things that we've connected over is, uh, just the, uh, the, the creativeness, uh, of community and, and finding and, uh, and be able to create clean content. Of course, we're both big fans of Nate Land. And, and so, uh, that's kind of where we, we've, we've met and bonded over. But tell me a little bit about your journey. Um, how, how you came to do what you do and, uh, how that started and, and, and even why. So I like to describe myself as just a regular kid. When I grew up, if I saw a snake or a lizard or a turtle, you think, well, what do most little boys do if they see a lizard or a turtle? They want to get closer. They want to catch it. And so that was a little bit of my experience growing up. Now, when I, where I grew up in Southern California, we didn't have uh, reptiles everywhere, but we had a lot of lizards. You know, occasionally I find some places where I run into toads or frogs. 
or even some, even some harmless snakes. I, I never ran into venomous snakes as a kid. They weren't abundant around our house. So it wasn't something I had to be afraid of, but I was instantly drawn to them. And, um, you know, if there's any listeners out there who are say under 30 years old, we had these things back then called encyclopedias. And if you wanted to learn something, you, you had to open these, you know, these encyclopedias that your mom probably had to sell a hundred of in order for you to get a free set of them. And if your mom didn't have a good work ethic and if your dad wasn't, you know, like a corporate banker, you couldn't afford them. So uh, you would just, whatever things you wanted to learn about reptiles was in that one book that was on the shelf, you know, the R section of encyclopedias. And so, you know, I would learn everything I could about reptiles, dinosaurs, and that sort of thing. Um, but that was just my my normal kid days of just chasing after lizards and turtles and um, learning what I could learn out of encyclopedia. We didn't even have America Online when I was a kid in the 80s. So then fast forward to I'm a teenager. This is now in the 90s. And I begged my parents to get a pet snake. It was a cute little red and orange corn snake. His name was Leon. Um, a, a good way to picture Leon, if you remember on Sesame Street, there was that little red and orange worm. I think his name was Slimy. It wasn't his name, Paul. Does that sound familiar? Um, that that's uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, let's go with Slimy because it sounds good. I don't remember. <laughs> well, was it was just called Slimy? But the little red and orange worm that was Big Bird's friend on Sesame Street, and that was kind of what Leon looked like. My first pet snake, <laughs> and uh, so I convinced my parents to get me one. And after you have one, um, it it can sometimes be downhill from there you know, you just, you get drawn into their world. And so I had this idea of getting more reptiles, but there's a fact that a lot of people sort of think happens with reptiles. Like, have you ever heard sort of like the urban legends of people getting alligator and it gets too big and they flush it down the toilet or something like that? Nate Bergetzi actually has a joke uh, about having a pet alligator, a real story. And also as a kid growing up, he had a boa constrictor and it, and uh, in both of those cases, uh, both the nature reptiles got too big and they had to find homes for him. And this is a common thing that can happen with reptiles because many of them have long lifespans, much longer than cats and dogs, certainly longer than, you know, gerbils or other things you might have as a pet. Mm-hmm. And um, they can also get very big in many cases, many species will out, outgrow either one of us. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a small guy, but there are a lot of reptiles I own that could outweigh me. Mm. And um, anyway, so I I knew that a lot of people give up reptiles and I knew that I wanted to get more reptiles. So I just, ever since I was little, I would kind of have these creative light bulbs in my head of, well, how could we, how could we create a win? How could we do some out of the box solution to, to get, to what we want that that'll be great for everyone. Like when I was at, I don't know, we, maybe you had this when you were a kid, Paul, do you remember uh, when we were kids, they would on a cereal box, it would say, send in two proofs of purchase and you get some toy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I remember seeing, Oh, that's really cool. And so I thought I'd try to say proofs of purchase to get the toy. And I thought, man, this is going to take forever until my mom gets a second box of Cheerios or whatever she has a coupon for. So what I started doing as a kid was every cereal box we got, I cut out the proofs of purchase, whether or not there was an offer. And then eventually an offer would come along and I would go to my proof of purchase collection, which most nine-year-olds don't have, but I did. And I already had them and I would send them off and get the toys. So my mind always worked differently like that. And uh, that's kind of how I came to the conclusion that I should start a reptile rescue in my early 20s. And so I did that. I thought, well, a lot of people need to give them up. 
I would love to have them. And um, it's also a way to serve your community. You can help people out. You could adopt them back out, find new homes. You get a chance to work with them, you know, maybe for a short period of time for months or years instead of having, you know, like if you have an alligator, it lives 50 years. If you have a tortoise, it could live 200 years. Mm-hmm. So instead of keeping them that whole time, you know, maybe just work with them for a matter of months or, or short amount of years and get a chance to experience all these ones and, and find homes for them. So, so in 2004, uh, going on 20 years now, I decided to start my own reptile rescue and, uh, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, oftentimes in your early twenties, you don't know and you just try. <laughs> and, uh, somehow, uh-huh. somehow I'm still doing it 20 years later. In fact, yeah. the thing that made it sustainable for me was I was into reptile rescue for a short amount of time. In my mind, this was just going to involve taking in animals, adopting out animals and, I was into it a a certain amount of months. I don't even think it was a year. And there was some local press about how we were starting a reptile rescue. And someone called me and said, oh, could you bring some reptiles to our children's event? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, yeah, we could do that. That'd be fun. And she said, how much do you charge? And that question had never even come across my mind that people would pay money for me to do this thing that I love working with God's creation. And, you know, and also these are oftentimes unloved animals. And so I can take my passion for loving things that are unloved for seeing beauty where some people don't see it. And I could not only do people want me to share it, they're actually going to give me money to bring reptiles into buildings. Ironically, some people give me money when they find reptiles in their buildings They give me money to take (laughs) reptiles out. But um, that's when, way back almost 20 years ago it dawned on me oh gosh people could pay me <laughs> to do reptile shows yeah and, uh, so then that was the beginning of it moving from completely a hobby that was just going to absorb time and money to something that would eventually years down the road turn into a full-time career that it's actually what i get to do now as a full-time job wow yeah so so can you remember um, like how, how many reptiles, did, like your first show, can you remember like how many reptiles you had? Like, what was your, what was that like? Like as a, um, with, or just, can you think, I know it was 20 years ago, but can you think yeah. back to like that realization of like, oh, I'm actually going to do this. So February, 2005, I believe is when we did our first show at Lidditz library, which is a really nice community library. Also a school district where I went to high school here in Pennsylvania. It's right in the heart of Amish country. And um, we had done maybe one or two, what, what I might call events, where it wasn't like I was doing a big formal show, but I maybe brought some reptiles in and people take pictures with them or pet them or whatever. But the Lidditz Library was the first actual show that we did. And I had no idea how to do a show or a presentation. And so I remember I actually took note cards and I wrote down like fun facts for every animal because I had no idea what I was going to talk about. And like for the king snake, I remember writing out some Latin terms, like there's a term ophiophagus, which means like snake eater, because king snakes eat other snakes, mm-hmm. you know, and I go through and, you know, I'd say these weird facts that I had found out somewhere. And, uh, but I probably brought about a dozen uh, snakes, lizards and turtles. I don't think I had, I don't think I had any alligators at that time. Uh, now we always bring snakes, lizards, turtles and alligators. Wow. Um, but yeah, I remember I mean, I remember just loving it. I was voted class clown in high school. So I like, you know, I like to have fun. I I like to do attention stuff. I came up with this thing, even at our first show at Lidditz Library, called the Rainforest Smoke Breathing Jumping Snake. And we haven't done this routine for years, but it was 
like this is just to give the listeners an idea how my mind works. So I'm doing an educational science program at a library. And like the first thing my mind thinks of is to close on a rainforest smoke breathing jumping snake, which is an imaginary thing that I invented in my mind. And so I went out and bar- bought a party fogger. And as I'm introducing the show, I've got most of my snakes lined up in plastic containers across two tables, you know, about a dozen reptiles. And then there's one really big container that you can't see through. And I just warn the kids, you know, hey, this is the rainforest smoke breathing jumping snake. Every once in a while, he gets wound up and he starts breathing smoke. And it's really important if that happens, you let me know because I need to calm him down or he's going to start jumping all over this room. He's very hard to catch. And so, you know, we sort of go through the whole thing. And at some point, I forget if there's a signal that my wife would press a button or something and the smoke breathing jumping snake would start breathing smoke out of the container. I mean, of course, it's a party fogger. So she's just pressing the button, mm-hmm. you know, but like this is this is just to give you an idea. This is the laugh and learn approach that naturally is inside of me that. My very first, you know, quote unquote, educational show, I'm just building it around this imaginary snake. And then um, so then we play up into this. The kids are getting all excited. They're yelling because there's smoke coming out of it. And so then, you know, I go into this cage, uh, which they can't see what's in it, you know, but then I start, you know, editorializing what I see in the cage and what he's doing. He's looking at me and then I reach in and I pull out. I think it was like think it was like a probably a 10 foot purple stuffed snake and I throw it out in the crowd and everyone you know freaks out for a second but really they're having such a fun time um yeah and, but that would I mean like I didn't I mean I guess I did plan that out but like that's just a natural kind of stuff mm. that would come to me that I always wanted to do things that would make kids laugh and and also engage kids and um from doing that I mean I haven't done that bit in years we don't usually throw snakes in the crowd anymore but uh we don't use party foggers but yeah. we you know we like to do fun things we like to yeah. do stuff to keep the audience involved and, yeah. and to engage all ages you know try to be sort of like um you know toy story or some of those some of those movies that parents can relate to and go gosh there are some funny things in here for the grown-ups right while there's also funny things for the kids yeah 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 well and i think that i mean the truth is that the parents are watching those things um, you know, you've got parents at your show, you've got grownups. And so if you can uh, entertain them um, and, and while they're learning, if you can entertain anybody while you're learning that, then that's, that's just proven that you learn better. Um, but also, man, you, you're able to spread some of that, um, the, the, the things that you see, that love that you see, um, you can, you know, it's like a little spark that you can give to other people. Um, and uh, your, your love for the the reptiles is then, you know, spread out amongst uh, that spark starts in, to see like little kids. And I don't think it takes very much. I mean, uh, I talk a lot about this with my friends, but, um, you know, dinosaurs are just like, like kids just love dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Uh, They're fascinating. Yeah. And and why? I mean, you, it's like, but but it's almost universal. That, and they're like, oh, big, big lizards. Love that. Um, I mean, I mean, for me, I think there's some truths that are just so self-evident. Like people wonder, like, well, why do we love all this stuff? Well, like, I believe God created everything in six days, said it was good. And I believe the Bible says we're creating God's image. And it doesn't say that about the animals. So you just draw that out by extension. You say, well, God created these animals for us to explore and for us to discover and for us to enjoy. So when you have that, 
you know, that affinity or that just attraction to these amazing animals. It's like, well, it's not a mystery. That's how God created us. And, you know, of course you go back to the the story of the fall and it does talk about people having enmity or having an aversion to snakes after they met that first snake in the Bible. And, um, you know, a lot of people would say that first snake in the Bible is one of the worst people. I mean, one of the worst characters that is out there. I, I could maybe think of one guy who's a little bit worse of a character mm. than that first snake in the Bible. He keeps calling me about my car's extended warranty. <laughs> maybe, has he been calling you, Paul? Uh, well, he helps me remember. He, I, I appreciate him, though, because he helps my me to know that my cell phone still works. Nobody else calls me, but uh, every now and then he'll give me a call. And so I appreciate that. Well, that's nice of him. That, that it's, that, that, oh, yeah, my cell phone does work in that way. It doesn't just text, but uh, yeah. Well, I like to remind people that, you know, sure, that that was a very, very bad uh, public relations move for snakes early on in Genesis. But you don't have to go very far in the New Testament before God decides to do one of his very first miracles through Moses and Aaron. And if yeah. you remember what God chose, he had yeah. Moses and Aaron meet before Pharaoh, directed Aaron to throw his staff on the ground. And, you know, God could have turned that thing into a unicorn or a dragonfly or a woolly mammoth, but God decided to turn it into a snake. And so it's just a good illustration that God can use anything according to his purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, I, I'll freely admit that I am not a snake person. I will also say that it comes a little bit with my environment. Um, I grew up in central Texas and yep. had um, several uh, options for poisonous snake snakes that were, um, Pretty common, pretty, pretty. Um, Probably a lot of Western diamondbacks and cottonmouths, uh, I'm guessing. Cottonmouths. We also had your copperhead um, mm-hmm. would be the other one. And so, um, but we also had rack snakes and we had um, garden snakes and, 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 and of course other, rep, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I've never just that, that I think, I think that um, struck me as a child that I just don't need, need to be around snakes. And so I'm happy that there are people that are, but that is definitely one of those things that I'm like, no, thank you. Um, you know, yeah. That, well, and you're actually, so in your situation, that's pretty wise in your environment. If you're surrounded by venomous snakes, it's probably best just to, to avoid them. We had a missionary from India who was visiting us in Pennsylvania one year. And the idea that I work with snakes was incredibly scary to him because now in our country, Paul, we have usually between about zero and five people a year that die from venomous snakes in the United States. And out of that zero to five people that die, that includes like religious snake handlers that refuse anti-venom. That includes uh, what I would call, uh, to use a technical term, dumb people that have a pet black mamba or something that they do right. not have the medicine for, yeah. uh, either themselves or at the regional hospital, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that includes all of those. And it's, you could count them on one hand typically in a year. But if you're in India, it could be well into five figures. I mean, it could be over 10,000 people a year where they don't have access to medicine, right. they don't have good foot care. And um, so, uh, our friend Glory Das, a missionary who run, ran an orphanage in India that was, uh, we had been out there ourselves and he was in Pennsylvania and he was telling us as a boy, they did, they had a grass roof and snakes would come through it. And it, you know, it's a very scary thing in that culture, yeah. but you know, in our culture, we don't have nearly the reason to, to fear that even yeah. in places like Australia, where they have the deadliest snakes in the world. Um, they don't see the deaths that you might see in Africa and Asia just because they have good access to medicine and, 
Um, so what, one of the things that I learned, I, I actually was a children's pastor for about five years. And so I would listen to a lot of tips from other pastors. And some of the things that I heard other pastors say is w- one of the tips is if they're laughing, they're listening. Yeah. Um, and, and another yeah. thing they would say is people don't remember what you said to them. They won't remember all the information, but mm. they will remember how you make them feel. Yeah. And so I've taken that approach in my reptile programs that, I, you know, I'm going to share a bunch of fun facts. You may or may not remember half of them, sure. but what I want is you to come away from our programs going, gosh, I was around snakes for an hour and I wasn't scared. I didn't poop my pants. No one right. died. I, and yeah. all I did, I just feel good because we were laughing and we were just amazed by God's creation, sort of remove the fear element of it and see, you know, the amazing creation that God put in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is, um, I, th- I think that is super cool. I think that, um, you know, as we, we, we live in a more digital age, as we live in a, a, a more inside world, um, that I think that is definitely like that super cool, just the ability to, um, just, just, just bring that, that love for nature, um, the the love for God's creation as we talk about that really connects you know like even in Romans Paul talks about how we can see God by by seeing nature and seeing the things that He's created um, and I think that's a, that's a, like developing that love is just a great way to um, even even if you're not you know overtly uh, talking about God you still get to to share about the good things that God's created um, you you almost you can't you know avoid that. Uh, but, but, uh, you don't have to necessarily like, well, you know, you gotta, you don't have to love Jesus to enjoy this. God is actually gracious enough to give us all this stuff to enjoy, whether you love Jesus or not. And it's funny. Cause when I started doing, uh, when I started doing reptile stuff in my mind as a Christian, I was thinking, well, there's ministry and then there's what I do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, at that point I was putting them in separate boxes. Like if you're not a full-time missionary, a pastor or something like that, you're, you don't work in a church office or some paraministry, you're not really doing ministry. And what I do is reptile work and it's unrelated. And I didn't see the connection. And uh, then when I started doing it, I was like, this is so cool. We get to serve the needs of so many people. Um, you know, we, we got to take in a snake for a family where the son had just recently passed away. Mm-hmm. And when we got to go out there and I don't do this all the time at every rescue call, but that grandmother, um, the, the, it was a 20 something year old young man who passed away, mm. lived with the grandmother and the grandmother was just so torn up about how everything had happened and how bad she felt and where the snakes can be taken care of. Cause he had snakes that we had to take in for him. And, um, in that case, I felt like the Holy spirit was telling me you could pray for this, this lady right here. And there's a lot of cases like that when we're dealing with hurting people, they need to give up reptiles. Uh, maybe because of a loss of a job, maybe because they're going through a divorce. Um, it could be, you know, all these different kind of things, loss of a family member. So we get to meet needs for these hurting people in a very unique way. And uh, so then, you know, God kind of revealed to me, like, you know, this is a great way you can minister to people. And we don't, we're we're not actually, we're not technically a Christian organization. I'm uh, I'm a Christian person who does a, repti- a nonprofit mm-hmm. reptile organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um but I get in a lot of those cases where God puts me in front of people that I can minister to either just by serving their needs directly. Or sometimes I, I do feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me, oh, you can pray for this person. Yeah. And uh, we had one of those calls. It was wild. We were driving out to help a person like that that really needed help. 
And so we were on the phone and this person just needed someone to talk to. And so we're on the, we're driving there. It's like over an hour drive. And I warned him, I said, uh, this is, you know, we're out in the back roads. We're probably going to drop the call. Well, we, we never lost the call. Mm-hmm. And so this person's like pouring their heart out to me about the situation. And, uh, and we get to go and help them and we pick up their reptiles and we're driving on the way back. And my son was with me. He was, uh, he's 12 at the time. And I said, Kenny, look at the phone signal we have right here. And we had zero bars and it was the exact place <laughs> that we were able to listen to that person pour their heart out for like mm-hmm. 15, 20 minutes. And I was telling them, like, I think the Lord actually just let that phone call go through for a half hour because this lady needed to yeah. share with someone. And now here we're driving right back through the same spot. We don't have a single bar. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's so cool. I think it's so awesome because I think we do tend to try to, put God in this box where we are like, Oh, well, I'm not a, I'm not a minister. I'm not a missionary. I'm just doing my job. And God's like, no, I'm, I made you specifically uniquely for a reason. Uh, and he's like, Jesse, I made you to love reptiles, but I also made you to love people. And, yep. and let's watch how these things intersect. And you, like you were going, well, I was just doing, I was just doing my job or I was just doing what I love. And then, and God's like, yes, because I created you that way. And now, um, because you're doing what you love, then you're like, then he's like, and now here's these doors that I'm opening. Here's these pathways that I'm giving to you. Um, and I think that is, is like, to me, that is a message that the church needs to hear. Um, because we, we often, we fall into that trap of being like, no, the, oh, I'm not, I'm not the pastor or I'm not on stage or I'm not the youth minister or I'm not the children's minister or whatever we, the not right. And yeah. God's like, no, I, that's, I, that's okay. I mean, um, we don't need more. Uh, I mean, like, like a lot of people say, I don't work in the church and God wants to say, you are the church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's like you, the, the, and I always tell people like, you know, people that I don't know you, you have interests that I have, you have the ability to talk to people that I will never have, um, you know, and, and that your pastor will never have that. And God's like, no, I, I made you. Um, and, and, and it's just, it's awesome to hear. Yeah. I mean, just how, like, um, you know, without, um, it's, it's like a ministry of being available, um, yeah. you know, and just saying, yeah, let, what can I do? And so that, that's, I think that's just that part of that creativity of saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do a, a reptile rescue, but while I'm part of that, then I can't, I'm not setting aside the fact that I am also following God and following Jesus. And so God's like, yeah, that's fine. I'm going to bring the, I'm going to bring the, the people to you, you know, like the, like Jesus had the people uh, tear open the roof to, to lay the, the man down. God's like, don't worry. You think you're, you think you're, you're just doing this, but actually I'm bringing the ministry to you. And, and it's, right. it's amazing. So if you're willing to do that, God will definitely meet you there. When I started doing reptile shows, you know, a lot of times when you do any kind of a, a program or any kind of a show for a church, like they will ask you like, you know, oh, are you going to present the gospel message? And like they want to, and I was uh, initially I'm thinking, well, I don't know what tie in I have and I don't want to just force, I don't, you know, I don't want to force a Sunday school lesson into every reptile. I mean, I can do that a little bit with some of them, but I don't want it to seem right. kind of forced. Yeah. And um, and initially I remember thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to turn a reptile lesson into something with a Christian message. But then as soon as you start working with it at all, you realize like this is all God's creation. And then we can, you know, we could talk about Genesis where it says God's everything 
It said it was good. Or more importantly, we can talk about some of the other things he created, like Psalms 139 says he knew you before you're born. You're fearfully, wonderfully made. Ephesians 2.10 says we're God's workmanship, or some versions would say his handiwork or even his masterpiece. And sometimes we're in a scenario. Now, if we're in public schools, we're not usually sharing from scripture, but a lot of times we're in uh, Christian uh, programs, churches, camps, places where we can share some scripture. And we're able to tell this to a lot of kids who probably don't hear this all the time that, that you are a masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you are wonderful. And uh, one of the cool things we go through the end of our program, we go, you know, these animals are all pretty cool. How many of you guys agree? These are some really neat things that God created. And then we'll say, but you know, the Bible doesn't say the animals were made in God's image. Who do you think is God's most special creation? And I could be asking this to a room full of preschoolers. It doesn't matter. You don't need a college degree because I think God's put certain truths in our heart. And I could ask this question to room full of preschoolers. Who do you think is God's most special creation? Mm -hmm. And you see all the hands go up and they say, us, we are. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's so amazing. That's not me telling them. That's me asking them. And God has put that truth in their heart that you are God's most special creation. And uh, so you get to go through, you know, 30, 45 minutes of meeting all these amazing things that God created. And then all of a sudden that triggers a light in your heart that goes, but wait, I'm God's creation. I'm God's handiwork. I'm God's workmanship. And God, God purposefully created me in Christ Jesus to do good works. And to be able to share that message to people, even though we often stop short of sharing the full gospel message, we'll let some other, other ministers do that usually, but we get to actually meet people sometimes where they're at and give them that message that just sort of seamlessly fits in with meeting all of these critters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and God uses so many things that um, so many different connection points to, to bring people uh, to the gospel. And, um, you know, uh, and sometimes it's, uh, it's reptiles. Um, yeah. It's, it's uh, getting to, to, to learn about all the amazing things in, in reptiles. And then also to realize, you know, um, it, it, humans are just made so unique and, and such, and we're creations and we, we have a creator and, and just to, to make, to put those dots together, um, just really starts that. I think that heart, uh, opening up and, and the, the mind opening up and, and, uh, just opens the place where God can, can speak into. Uh, so that's really cool. That's, that's awesome. What, what, um, so, um, so you've been doing this for 20 years, um, what uh what what do you got like um what do you like about how what what you've got now as far as the setup and what you're able to do and then uh a follow up with that after that is is what do you what do you do you have a dream of what you want to do like you're where you're yeah. at now and and where where do you want to where do you see yourself or want to see yourself well i think no matter what business you're in i think anyone can relate to this that if you're in a business for a year you're still learning it. Even as you're building a business for five years, you know, you're getting a reputation and, but it takes so much time and energy and marketing to get somewhere. And then I felt like probably by around the 10th year, uh, cause now we started in 2004. Um, so we're about 20 years into it. I, f- I felt like after 10 years, in some ways it felt like it was finally getting easy. And by easy, I don't mean we don't have to get up early and work hard all day, but I mean, we didn't have to go out there and sell ourselves constantly because we had so many clients at that point that were booking our show every single year, or we have some that might book us three or five times a year, depending on the needs, or at least we have a bunch of them that are booking us every other year, every three years. 
So suddenly we had all of those things going for us. Um, you know, in the beginning we would, we were buying advertising for our shows and even, you know, trying to let people know, Hey, we can take in reptiles if you need it. And now, I mean, we do virtually no paid marketing. I mean, we, we get to do a lot of fun media stuff, but it's not, it's not like actually buying ads mm-hmm. like we used mm-hmm. to. So that part is really nice that you, you have a reputation. You have so many relationships with folks that you've worked with that. I mean, you just love it when you can go into a place and maybe you're working at a camp and you know that, that camp director who has, you know, he's seen your heart, you've seen his heart, you know, exactly what you're working at, exactly what each other needs. And it's just nice to work from a, a place of uh, knowledge and experience and comfort. So anyway, so this, that so we are up and we're up to a little over a hundred reptiles that we share our house with. I forget if I mentioned that we're home-based rescue. So, so our setup that we have now, um, both indoors and outdoors, I feel like it's, I wouldn't say filled to the brim, but we don't have a lot of extra space. So I feel like we're kind of topped out with how many reptiles we can take in and the amount of shows we can do. To give you an idea, we did about 275 live shows in 2022. It's 2023 and we're on pace to probably surpass that. I'd be surprised if we don't do 300 shows this year. And I feel like we really cannot do much more than that. Um, you know, cause I will wear out and we want to, of course, rotate the reptiles. And I mean, there's just, even if you were scheduling every hour of the day, um, you know, there's, there's a finite amount of yeah. churches and gymnasiums right. and libraries you can be in, in mm-hmm. one year. So, uh, what I would, what I'd really like to see as we move into the future, I love, I love doing live events. I love making people laugh right in the same room you really cannot get anything more fun than that like having people laugh having people be enlightened having people come back and tell you know tell us stories about how their life was changed even with how they see reptiles because of you um but in addition from the live shows we're really hoping to build our digital presence and that's where we started creating, especially since the pandemic, where we couldn't do live events, we started creating a lot more YouTube and digital resources. And then that's something I feel like, you know, I could do 300 shows this year, but the video that I posted two years ago of a rat snake biting me in the nose, that could still be reaching people, you know, and people could actually see the rat snake bite me in the nose and see me laugh and go, oh my gosh, he's not screaming. He's not freaking out. Mm-hmm. And there's one little drop of blood, mm-hmm. like that no, nothing like I've, I've hurt my toe, you know, walking down the stairs so much worse than whatever I feared that rat snake could do to me, right. you know? So just creating those digital resources or we did one last, last year, I think where I was on a bike ride and a snapping turtle ended up nesting right where I was riding my bike. So I sat down with her and she laid, I think about 34 eggs wow. right in front of me and people yeah. get to watch that and go, Oh my gosh, that snapping turtle. I thought it would be chasing him. I thought it would be, I'm, I was sure it would have bitten off at least nine of his toes by now. And she's just laying there because she's a mom. I have a mom. I am a mom. Right. I, she just wants to, she wants to have her kids. Like she has this maternal instinct. She doesn't want to bother anyone. And yeah. suddenly people can relate to him and go, gosh, I, I remember driving my wife to the hospital. Like that's how. Yeah. That's how she looked. She was singularly focused on what God created her to do as a mom. Yeah. And uh, so so hopefully by creating some of these digital resources, it's something that we can put out to an infinite audience that, yeah. you know, we 
only have so many hours or so many shows we can do physically. But when we create that digital stuff, um, then we can share it and not just share it here in Pennsylvania surrounding states, but you know, your listeners in Illinois or uh, like folks in other countries during the pandemic, we did virtual stuff for folks in other countries. And so we can just share, you know, this passion for God's creation with the whole world. Right. Yeah. And I, that's one of the things, like I say, one of the things we connect over and one of the things I love is that um, there's so many, there's so much stuff out there. Um, and so some it's like, well, are we adding to the noise? But I think that um, there's just so much uh, negative, uh, angry, um, divided uh, stuff out there that that um, I find myself just going. I just want to. I want something that I can I can feel good about watching. Uh, yeah. I can feel 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 good about consuming. That I'd be comfortable with kids watching. That I that that that's positive. Um, and um, and and I think that. Uh, a little bit, I guess, the rebellious side of me. It's like I, I think we should take over the airwaves with yeah. positive stuff. Uh, I love and, that and positive content because I, I think that, um, and and we've uh, we talked to just briefly. Somebody asked about I, I made a comment one of the the Pathios uh, article wrote about Nate Landa that that we have to be careful what uh, kind of media we consume. Um, and I think that that um, that doesn't. I'm, I'm not advocating you know hey we can only listen to only Christian music or only watch Christian TV or or all that kind of stuff. I mean sometimes that's bad because it's not that good. I want to yeah right. I, I, I like good entertainment. Um, sometimes it's really great. But um, but what I think about is that if you surround yourself with angry negative people all the time or angry angry negative media. Um, I find myself becoming that way. Um, oh, yeah. And I just like, I don't want to be that. Like, I, I just, you know, I want to be the fruit of the spirit, which is, you know, love, joy, peace, and all, and so on and so on. And so um, even, even like, um, even if you're not explicitly, you know, saying, hey, this is all about Jesus and I want to tell you about reptiles. But if you're saying, just like, hey, look at this cool reptile and and to have joy in that and to be able to share your love with that i think is just it just puts out into the world a a resource that says yeah this is light um right you know uh and and it's not dark and you don't have to 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 and it brings you to a to a better place um you know and that's why i think paul says in you know philippians where he says you know think think on whatever is good whatever is true those are the things you think on you know like that like like lose yourself in those kind of things. Um, and, uh, and so that's why, that's one of the things I love about like what you do is that your hope is to create stuff that, that anybody could watch. They don't have to be a Christian, but, but that they know they're going to get some joy. They're going to get some laughter. They're going to get some good facts. They're going to get to, to see something interesting. Um, and it's better than, um, you know, watching, uh, something that's going to make them angry or make them be negative or, or be, uh, or feel, feel less hope about the world. Cause I think anytime we talk about creation, I think that I, it fills me with hope, um, about the good things that God has done. Yeah, it does. And you think, why, why is it that people benefit now from turning their cell phone off and going on a long hike or a long yeah. walk and, yeah. It's because you get back in God's creation and it does reset you. And as you said, there's just so many negative things. Like I like to be a well-informed person and so I'll consume news. But if I start consuming too much of it, I I tend to boil over. And then sometimes on the entertainment side, like I really prefer uh, clean comedy. You know, the, some of the guys from Nate Lee, like Nate Bergetzi, Brian Bates, Aaron Weber, Dusty Slay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of them, a bunch more I can name that I just really appreciate that they don't have to get dirty or they don't have to get vulgar. Right. But 
with all that said, you know, I've worked in construction sites and factories, so I'm not going to turn someone off right away just because they're vulgar. It might be someone I can't listen to in front of my kids, but I may still listen to them. But there was recently uh, a comedian who released a special and I know he, I know he's known for being vulgar and over the line. I thought, well, I want to, you know, there were some things on talk radio. They're saying he said some interesting things. So I thought, well, I'll tune in and see what he says. And it actually was so bad. I probably only listened to about a quarter of it. And I was like, I don't want to, like you said, I don't want to consume any more of this. But the funny thing is, so it, it didn't surprise me that I didn't watch the whole thing because that'll happen sometimes. I may try something out and I go, uh, this is too much for me. It's a little bit too over the line. Right, uh, right. Other things I might watch a whole way through that yeah. I know I might have a different Christian friend who wouldn't tolerate it. But anyway, yeah. I was talking to one of my friends who's not a Christian who swears, you know, if not every sentence, at least every paragraph. So he's like a person that I would think this wouldn't bother. And it was funny. He told me when I told him, I was like, Oh, did you hear this um, special by this new comedian or by this new special by this famous comedian? I was like, I listened to, you know, not even half of it. And it was too much for me. And this friend who's constantly swearing himself said, yeah, it was too much for me. I did the same thing. And (laughs) it, it just goes to your point that, you know, I think people know that when they are consuming dark, constantly dark stuff, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good. It's like, you know, you could have a little bit of a little bit of junk food and you're fine. But if you right. sit there all day, you know, like most of us did for the first two weeks to flatten the curve and just consume junk food, like your body right. doesn't feel good. And I think right. the same thing happens to your mind and your soul. Yeah. And so as we are con- as we're producing content, we try to put things out there that are just family friendly. Um, not only is it going to be clean language, like we might drop a couple goshes or gollies, but that's about as, as dangerous <laughs> as the language gets there. But besides that, we try not to be preachy, even from the environmental side. Like right. every once in a while, I'll go to a nature talk where I appreciate what they're saying, but they'll make you feel like a bad person. You know, if you use a Keurig cup instead of like something that biodegrades in less than 2000 years, or they'll make you feel like a bad person. If you cut your grass too close to the Creek line, because you're going to, you're the reason for bank erosion and the Chesapeake Bay is going to get algae blooms because of you and your lawnmower, you know, and there's just like, we try not to be preachy even like that. Cause we're not trying to make people feel bad. We're trying to make people feel good. We want people to walk away going, Oh man, these things are amazing. I, I should like these more. I should right. learn more about them. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and that curiosity and that, that, that joy, like, I think that um, we're all, um, like we all are looking for, like, I, I just want to find things that help me bring joy. And, and one of the things is like, when you see other people that, that are like, wow, that brings them joy. And it just almost just having somebody else enjoy something is almost as good as just having joy yourself because that, cause you knew you're, you're, it's like your senses are woken up yeah. and like, ah, oh, yeah, there is joy in this world. Like, yeah. and, and, and so that's, that's like, like I say, I think that, that more than anything um, just opens up that pathway to being like, okay. And then even the questions of like, okay, but why, you know, why does this crazy guy, you know, like these, these reptiles or these snakes or find joy in doing all this stuff? Why is that? And that, and that opens up even more just questions, you know? And so just, just, yeah, I think it's, it's a great way um, to, to be, um, you know, 
faithful to God, uh, but without having to put a title on it, uh, without having to put a, a placard out front, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and because, um, cause, cause, cause that can turn people off. And so it opens up the, the, and you're not trying to be sneaky. Like if people ask you, you would say, Oh, this is who I am. Yeah. But, um, but, but you don't have to also be upfront and be like, Oh, well, we're, you know, this is, we're a Christian. We're in, and not that there's anything with saying wrong with that, but, but it definitely closes some doors to people. And so to be able just to say, you know, I'm just a normal person. Yeah. Um, just like you and man, these things bring me joy. And, and one of the reasons it is, cause I know, I know who God is. And so I know his creation and, but, but you, but it just, it opens doors um, when, um, when, when we, when we take the things that we love, and that we can do and 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 just serve God, um, and that's yeah, what I, I see. That, that that's what I, you're doing, Jesse, and I appreciate that. What some of my herpetology friends, herpetology study, reptiles and amphibians. The vast majority of my herpetology friends are not Christians. I mean, a lot of nature and science people. Um, that I, I am not saying I don't have a lot of Christian friends who are nature people, but I have a lot of nature friends who are not Christians, and mm-hmm. so it's really neat just to be for me to be exposed to so many different people, to be a light to so many different people, just to be a friend to different people, different worldviews. So um, yeah, I love that God puts me in these different places and yeah. And just get to, uh, we get to just share our love and, and uh, share passions for these things with so many different people. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, man, I, I probably could talk for many, many, many more uh, hours and minutes, and and we probably could. Uh, I do have one last question for you. I'll, I'll get to you in just a moment. But uh, before I do that, um, tell people, um, uh, well, uh, two questions. I, I changed my mind. I have two questions for you. The first one is, um, you just sold out. Uh, you were telling me about it. you just uh, sold out a show in in uh, at the was it the Oregon Dairy? Is that what? Yep. Uh, Oregon Dairy uh, Warehouse Theater. We sold out both shows that that weekend. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, had you, you that was the first time selling the selling that out, or it's the first time we sold it out ever. We've been doing that venue for gosh, probably over ten years, and then uh, we had not done it since COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we had packed it out many times, but they never actually sold out ahead of time. And so it was a little over a week before the show that we sold out the first one, and they had a second one that same weekend, and they sold that out a few days later. And so that felt really good, especially having not been there for, I think, about three years due yeah. to COVID to come right back and sell them out um, for the yeah. first time. So that was great. That's awesome. All right. So so I have another final question. But before that, I'm going to let you have a chance. Tell people how to find you, where to find you, um, what they should look for, YouTube, uh, everything, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to say a bunch of information. Hopefully, if you guys are driving, you don't write it down and do something crazy. Uh, but we'll, we'll say it over again. Yeah, we'll put it all in the uh, we'll put it all in the the the, the show notes too, so they can find okay. it there too. So it'll be in the show notes, so you don't have to text and drive all this stuff. <laughs> uh, but forgottenfriend.org, forgottenfriend.org, because we're called Forgotten Friend Reptile Sanctuary. So forgottenfriend.org is our website. If you want to skip and go right to our YouTube channel, you can look up Forgotten Friend Reptile TV on YouTube. That's Forgotten Friend Reptile TV is our YouTube channel. If you want to do the shortcut, you go to ForgottenFriend.tv. That goes right to our YouTube channel, ForgottenFriend.tv. And then you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And a lot of our Facebook, Instagram stuff, sometimes that'll just be lighter stuff or funner stuff. Like um, today, we were at a at a farm market, a discount farm market, and they sold us two boxes of leafy greens. One, I think, was uh, turnip greens. One was collard greens. 
And then they had some other greens they threw in with it. And they, and they sold them these giant cases of leafy greens for $5 a case. And I don't know where, how, how the greens are in Illinois, but lately here in Pennsylvania, some of the prices have been as much as $5 for one head of lettuce mm. um, in some places, even more. So, so it was very cool that we got two cases of giant cases of leafy greens that feeds our iguanas, our tortoises, um, our bearded dragons, and feeds some, some box turtles, um, feeds some of the bugs that feed that we feed our lizards need some of those greens. So it feeds so many of our animals and they sold it to us for $5 a case. Anyway, the point of that whole story is we'll just something like that'll happen. We might just um, post a picture like we just did of one of our iguanas eating those fresh turnip greens. So if you just want to see some happy things like that, sometimes you'll see just pictures on our Insta or on our Facebook of an iguana eating the latest leafy greens we brought in. Um, you know, or maybe it'll be uh, a new king snake that someone surrendered to us that week, or maybe it'll be an adoption update. You know, hey, we just adopted out this gecko. You yeah. know, so a lot of it's just kind of happy stuff like that. Or we might say our new videos out, click on it, or um, you know, th- this is where we're going to be. If you want to come visit us at a show, or you know, if you are if you're in Central PA or some of our surrounding states. Of course, you could always invite us out to your school or church or library, or if you know someone who hates reptiles, you could pay us money and we'll bring them over to their house. <laughs> so we have nothing against that. We'll take your money and, um, you know, you could video the whole thing and that video will probably go viral. <laughs> there you go. Another business opportunity right there. <laughs> All right. Um, so, um, and then you guys are, I, I know uh, you guys are, are planning on, uh, so it's something I'm familiar with, um, is the uh, the the great snake uh, migration uh, where they shut down a road in southern Illinois? You guys are planning on being there to uh, to film that. So there's people like I say a lot of the people that listen to this are in Illinois, so they they either know about it. I know I've just heard about it, but um, tell me about a little bit about that. So the cool thing is, uh, if you guys have ever heard of something called Snake Road, it's in southern Illinois, um, and this is going to expose my ignorance of geography here in a second that I didn't even know that Illinois touched Tennessee, for example. Like I figure Illinois was next to like Michigan and Wisconsin and stuff like that. But I thought Tennessee was like, you know, down by Florida or something. I didn't really know. I just know they're two different places. And so uh, we released this great video on YouTube. It's our first one hour special. It's called uh, father, son Everglades expedition. You'll find that on our YouTube channel, forgotten friend reptile TV. And so it was getting a lot of traction, a lot of internet comments. And so one person, just a random person commented on there, oh, there's a road called Snake Road close to where I live in Tennessee. And they were telling me about it. And I said, oh, we're going to Tennessee because we're actually going to see um, the the Nate Bergetzi and all the Nate Land crew, you know, which that would be Aaron and Dusty and Brian and Nate. And also Nate's dad, Stephen Bergetzi, who's a comedian, a comedian magician, um, so those five are all performing in the same show, April 15th in Nashville. So our family was planning to go to that. We had like a week long vacation centered around a one day performance. So we had extra days built in. So this random person on the internet tells me, Oh, there's this cool snake road in Tennessee, or, or they say close to where we live in Tennessee. And I said, Oh, we're going to Tennessee. Uh, where, you know, would you mind telling me? And they say, well, it's actually in Southern Illinois. And that moment from that random internet person, that's when I learned that Illinois is next to Tennessee. And uh, so it turns out Nashville is just about a couple hours away from Snake Road so that we're going to be able to drive down to Snake Road and spend a day there. Um, there's there's 
a book about Snake Road that just came out and the author that put it out, uh, he, he spent so many hundreds of days at this road over several years and he compiled all his data. And, um, and so I was, I read through his whole book. I got a chance to correspond with him. He said, you know, going in April is probably one of the best times of year to go. So it was just a blessing that mm. we had this week of vacation plan and I had no idea, you know, not a real plan what we were going to do the first couple of days. And a random person on the internet helps explain to me that Tennessee borders Illinois and we're going to be driving basically past yeah. Snake Road on the way from Pennsylvania. So now we're looking forward in a couple of weeks to be going through there. Uh, we rented a cottage for a couple of days right next to Snake Road. Right. And so we're hoping to see a lot of cottonmouths and some of the other things that would be there would be like ribbon snakes, mill snakes, rat snakes, king snakes, ringneck snakes, uh, rough green snakes. There's yeah. some Nerodia species of non-venomous water snake, uh, timber rattlesnakes, copperheads are there as well. Mm-hmm. And then there's some very uncommon snakes that haven't been seen there for decades, um, like scarlet snakes. And so who knows, maybe we get lucky and see one of those, but, um, but so that, that whole, you can tell I'm kind of nerding out on this. I've, <laughs> I've read the book a couple of times. So we, we get to visit yeah. snake road for the first time. And hopefully that'll be one of our next YouTube videos. If it's a good yeah. turnout. Well, and, and for those who don't know, um, the Illinois literally shuts down the road. Um, yeah. It's such a thoroughfare of snakes um, that uh, to, to keep to protect that, um, that where they cross over, they, they will shut down that road. Um, if I could, if I could just explain it to help people get a picture of it in their mind, as you're listening, imagine a vast wetland, you know, maybe almost like the Everglades. So a vast wetland on one side. And then there's a dirt road. When I say dirt road, it's like a stone road that the that the wetlands border. And then on immediately on the other side of that stone road is a two or three hundred foot tall cliff, or they call it a bluff. It's like a limestone cliff that's covered in everything you would imagine you would see in the woods, like giant uh, trees, evergreens, deciduous trees. And so you have just thousands of acres of wetlands, thousands of acres of trees on this huge cliff. And the thing that's in between them is Snake Road, this stone road that normally you could drive cars down um, about nine months out of the year. But for two months in the spring, one month in the fall, a migration occurs where all the wetland snakes, they decide, you know, the, the hanging out in the water is fun when it's warm out, but they need to hibernate. They're cold blooded. So they need to hibernate in something that's got uh, that's got some dry area and you get into these cliffs and bluffs and you get deep in there and there's probably a little bit of hydrology that keeps it above freezing for them, uh, but they just get a lot of protection from being in that deep lime, limestone cliff. Yeah. And so spring and fall, you have all these snakes. And when I say all these snakes, I mean thousands upon thousands upon thousands are living there and they need to go from the from the cliff, from the limestone back into the wetland or the wetland back into the cliff. And then besides the ones migrating directly across the road, there's some that just happen to be in the neighborhood or maybe they're basking or mating or feeding or doing all these different kinds of things. But uh, so so much of that happens right on the road. It's one of the only places that you don't have to actually lift rocks and logs and go searching for them. You just walk down the trail and, you know, you might on a good day, you're not going to see all thousand of them on a good day. On a good day, though, you might certainly see dozens of them. And yeah. it's not unusual that people might go down there and see 20, 30, 40 snakes um, and, and much more than that. I think the author of the yeah. book said he had some days that were over 100. But of course, that was rare. 
Um, But certainly it's not unusual if you're there at the peak times to see several dozen. So for me, that's an amazing day. Would you enjoy dozens of? I'm I'm going to enjoy watching that through YouTube. Um, The uh, the I will gladly see that on a screen and enjoy that uh, for for uh and and uh just to see your joy and seeing those uh so last question i have here have you heard uh so i grew up in texas um and i went to seminary out in a little town not not so little but a town called abilene uh which is about 40 minutes from a town called sweetwater okay and sweetwater has a yearly rattlesnake roundup has a yearly rattlesnake roundup which includes um some years um a gentleman who will uh get a sleeping bag and he'll they'll oh, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll allow him to stuff um multiple i don't know how many rattlesnakes but diamondback rattlesnakes they'll get them riled up and they'll they'll stuff them in the sleeping bag with him and he gets to um you know lay there and and uh, all that kind of good stuff are you willing or would you be the would you be the one that would uh crawl into the sleeping bag with the rattlesnakes no i would not and so i mean and there's different reasons for that see uh there, I I don't think the snakes would bite most of the time, but I just don't see a benefit in it. And so it goes into, I mean, I won't get into my whole ethical situation, but like when it comes to eating snakes, like ethically, I think that's good. I think if you kill a, if you kill an animal that is uh that's a sustainable species that you're not running out of them. Right. Sort of like I'm a deer hunter, I'm yeah. a fisherman, and yeah. so you know we might hunt or fish and eat what we catch, and um. A, a lot of people certainly would do that with snapping turtles, uh, catch snapping turtles to eat. And I would have no problem with that ethically. I wouldn't want to do it myself because I like turtles too much, but I, if you wanted to do it, I would, yeah. I would say, well, that's fine. But if you, if you were just going killing snapping turtles because you didn't like them, I wouldn't like right. that ethically. Right. I say, well, that's a waste. Don't waste them. Yeah, yeah. I didn't create animals for us to kill and waste, right. but he created, you know, created them for us to appreciate and take and eat if we need to. And yeah. then when you get into the venomous stuff, people that are kind of hot dogging like that with venomous well you certainly could do it i mean if you watch our latest everglades adventure video you'll see time after time after time when venomous snakes have every opportunity to hurt us and they don't do it that's not what they want to do and so getting into a sleeping bag with them i would fully expect them to not bite me but i'll look at the risk benefit uh, ratio and say well there is a risk certainly even if it's a small risk but what is the benefit of it? I don't see a benefit in doing that. Sure. So uh, my friend Jason, he he does reptile rescue in Georgia. And he one time had a person that wanted to give up his pet rattlesnakes. A guy had two pet timber rattlesnakes, an old hillbilly looking guy, yeah. like long gray hair and gray beard. Very nice man. But I'm just so the listeners can picture this hillbilly person that he met in a Lowe's parking lot that wanted to surrender these two rattlesnakes. And as Jason pulls up in his van, he he's looking at the guy and he says, oh, I thought the guy had rattlesnakes. It looks like he has boa constrictors because the snakes were around his neck like you might do with a boa that's not venomous. And as he gets closer, no, the guy has these pet rattlesnakes. And they were so friendly, the guy could open the snake's mouth just to show you where the fangs are. And you could do all that with a lot of these snakes. And certainly like my friend, uh, my friend Jack Hubley had pet rattlesnakes for his programs for many years mm. that he would have to physically hold the tail and physically manually rattle the tail to give a rattling demonstration because it was so well socialized. It didn't want right. to bite. Yeah. But still, Jason, I, fought, I I totally agree with his logic. 
he shared that story on his YouTube channel, which is Southeastern Reptile Rescue. And he said, these snakes, I could hold the same way the guy was going to, and I don't think they would ever bite me. And I'm not going to do it because why would I take that yeah. risk? Yeah. There's no benefit to doing it, but yeah. there's certainly an inherent risk. So, yeah. so we just try to respect the animals and give them their sure. space, but yeah. we know it's, they're probably not going to do that, but I, I don't see, I still don't see the, you'd have to convince me there's a good reason to get the sleeping bag with them. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree that, 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 uh, no, that was not definitely never any, anything, uh, that I'd, I'd want to do. Um, uh, but, uh, um, but I, I mean, I would, I, again, I'd, I'd enjoy, I enjoy the snap, the rattlesnake roundup through, the, through a screen as well. So, um, so that's my comfort level of, of, of enjoyment. So, um, well, well, um, all right. Uh, well, Jesse, I do, again, I do thank you for being, uh, just joining me and talking about your vision. Um, and, and that, that hope of just building something. I think that, that online presence, uh, I think that's just, that's going to be just more, um, good things out there. Uh, so that when, when, so parents have good choices to say, Hey, yeah, well, you could watch a video here, watch, uh, you know, forgotten friends. They, they're going to, you're there. Not only they're going to see some people having some fun, but they're going to learn some, th- some things and, and get some respect and, and, and get the love creation. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited for any kind of, of creation out there. And, and I, I really am. I am, um, yeah, I am excited to to see uh how your trip goes uh and and to see if uh, you have a fruitful uh, uh time on Snake Road. I think that again, I look I look forward to that cuz uh it's not very far from where it's it's, it's still a couple hours cuz yeah, that, that Illinois touches Tennessee, but it's way down there. <laughs> it is yeah, it is way at the bottom. My sister lives in Chicago. And she lives about five hours away from Snake yeah. Road. Yeah. So, so it's, it's uh, quite a stretch. It's, it's, uh, yeah. So, um, I don't feel any compulsion to go visit, but I do, I do have that interest of watching that video. So I'm going to look forward to that. Um, and also, like you say, you, you can follow, uh, Jesse on, uh, the, the Forgotten Friend on Facebook. He's got a page, uh, Instagram, um, all, all kinds of things, all kinds of ways to bring cool reptiles into your life. Um, and also, um, I'm sure that, that you get the, you'll get the sense then, uh, of Jesse's love for, for reptiles, but also just love for God and, and, uh, that all that's just going to bleed through. Um, so, so we, we look for, I look forward to seeing more stuff and, and get to, get to see more stuff. Um, any final things that, uh, you got to throw, you want to throw out there? Well, we like to always tell everyone, thanks for giving reptiles a chance. And if you guys want to help us give reptiles a chance, an easy way you could do that. I mean, we're a nonprofit, but I'm not even going to ask for donations. An easy way to help us give reptiles a chance is just subscribe to our YouTube, Forgotten Friend Reptile TV. And I, like, if you didn't notice from me talking to Paul, I love talking about reptiles. So if you guys watch something and you have a reptile question, don't just sit there in your living room and be like, I wonder why it's not doing that. I don't want to ask him. It's a dumb question. I'll tell you, please ask me, especially if it's a YouTube comment, because whether you know this or not, when you comment on YouTube videos, that helps the algorithm to, uh, from YouTube to show our videos to more people, to get more plays, help us grow our channel, to help us share our message. So every question you ask on our YouTube channel, I greatly appreciate it. Even if what you perceive as a dumb question, I perceive it as you're helping us to grow our channel, helping us to give reptiles a chance. And I do answer every question too. So if I didn't overly bore you on this podcast, I will be happy to overly bore you with my responses to your questions on Forgotten Friend Reptile TV. 
All right. Well, all right. Well, Jesse, thank you so much. Uh, you heard of friends go and, and like their stuff and, and ask all the questions about all the reptiles. Uh, Jesse, be glad to answer those. And then that'll be a great way to, to, to expand his business, his nonprofit business, but also expand his influence and be able to, to continue to share about God's creation and, and, and also just creating some, some content out that content out there that's full of joy and and positive positive stuff um so i want to thank you for listening to the podcast again if you uh, want to um if you have any comments questions or any of those type of things you can email me at the unbroken ground at gmail.com um and you can check out my facebook page the unbroken ground um also i've been blogging on patheos you can check out over there as well um so uh with that um i will last last thing is uh, always thank you jesse uh thank you for being here i really enjoyed it um, and, uh, thank you guys for listening and I hope that you have a, a wonderful, hope you had a wonderful time listening and, uh, hope that you, you find something you're curious in as about reptiles or anything or about God and reach out, um, and, cause we'd love to hear from you and, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for, thanks for listening.